Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day to all the mothers and the grandmothers, mothers-in-law, mothers-to-be who are here with us this morning. If you uh, brought your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. I want to read a short passage from chapter 11. It'll be verses 18 through 21 to get us started. Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 21. Says, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you're walking by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, as long as the heavens are above the earth. Amen. This passage speaks to all parents, fathers and mothers, and it establishes the biblical responsibilities for parents to lay a foundation for their children to teach them the ways of the Lord. Now today, being Mother's Day, I am focusing, of course, on mothers and on their unique and very special role in fulfilling this responsibility. The mother, by God's design, is the one who establishes the first and the most lasting impression on the heart of a child. The mother makes an imprint on her child's heart, as when minting a coin. And for better or for worse, meaning that whether you imprint, good or bad, right or wrong, onto your child's heart, it has a lasting impression. It makes this a very high calling and a tremendous responsibility that the Lord has given to mothers. And the thing is, is that fulfilling this responsibility really begins with your own character. You can only imprint on your child's heart what you are yourself. You can only influence your child according to what you are yourself. Again, is when minting a coin, the, the, the coin, the blank coin, takes on the characteristics of the mold when it is minted. So this morning, I want to share with you what I believe are five godly traits. And I'm taking these from mothers in the Bible. These are traits, character traits, that I believe every godly mother should strive to possess. Now, these are by no means the only traits that godly mothers should strive to possess. These are not even necessarily the most important traits a godly mother should strive to possess. I am convinced, however, that these, each one of these, are very important traits that every godly mother should strive to possess. So I want to give to you these five traits that every mother and mother-to-be 
can strive for and, and can add to her arsenal, so to speak, of being a godly mother. So, trait number one. A godly mother submits to the Lord. For this trait, I look to Mary, the mother of Jesus. I'm going to read a passage from Luke chapter 1, and I'll read verses 26 through 38. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Amen. So Mary was a mother who gave herself as a servant to the Lord. She was content with what the Lord had given her, with the circumstances in which he had placed her. Now, I don't think that Mary would have chosen these circumstances for herself, immediately at least. I don't think she would have chosen to have been with child as a young, unwed woman with no logical or acceptable explanation, especially in the culture and at the time she lived. Yet, she was content. She lived out what the Apostle Paul wrote to his young protege Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.6, where he says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. So Mary was content. But she was much more than merely content. In a circumstance that most young women of the day would have considered to be catastrophic. She was joyful and considered herself blessed, knowing that the Lord was at work in her life. Listen to the words that she speaks to Elizabeth when she goes to visit her. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. 
For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and then returned to her home. So we see Mary focused her attention not on the difficulty of her circumstances, but on the greatness of the Lord. She praised the Lord and gave him thanks for the circumstances that he had chosen for her. She chose to be content and to be exceedingly joyful in the circumstances the Lord gave her. Not conditionally, but with conscious commitment in her heart. Mary, I believe, saw the bigger picture. She looked at her own circumstances from an eternal perspective and took great joy in being used by the Lord the way he chose to use her. She didn't jettison her calling or try to or even desire to jettison her calling in order to pursue some other way of serving the Lord that was more to her liking. In other words, she didn't cry out to the Lord, oh Lord, I want to serve you, yes, just not like this. But what she did was she fully embraced the way the Lord called her to serve him. And she did so all the days of her life. To me, this is a picture of true submission to the Lord. So, mothers, even though you have not been chosen to mother the Messiah, even though you have not even been told by God in advance what part in his kingdom that your son or daughter might hold, Learn from Mary. Learn from Mary that submitting to the Lord means being content and being joyful, truly considering yourself to be blessed in whatever circumstances the Lord chooses to place you. Not because of the circumstances, but because the Lord is actively working in your life, choosing you to participate in advancing his kingdom in the earth through the raising of children and choosing the specific circumstances in which you are to do this. So by truly submitting to the Lord, to the Lord's authority in all ways, in all areas of your life, you will be teaching your children by your example to do the same. Trait number two. A godly mother trusts the Lord to protect and provide for her children even where she cannot. 
For this trait, I look to Hannah, the mother of Samuel the prophet. Now I'm going to reference a, a, a little bit longer passage, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through chapter 2, verse 21. So for the sake of time, I won't read the passage. I'll just summarize the points from which I want to draw for this. <clears throat> Hannah, Hannah was a typical young woman married to a good man who loved her very much. Her desire was to bear children and raise a family. But the Lord had closed her womb. So Hannah, many times, she prayed and she cried out to the Lord to open her womb and to give her a son. And then at a certain point, being what the passage describes as being deeply distressed, Hannah made a vow to the Lord that if he would give her the son that she desired, that she would give that son back to the Lord to serve him in a very special way all the days of his life. Now, this literally meant, and this is all explained in the passage, this literally meant that she would turn her son over to be raised by the high priest, Eli, and serve the Lord all the days of his life. So the Lord heard her prayer and her vow, and he blessed her. The Lord blessed Hannah, and he opened her womb. She bore a son, Samuel. And when she bore him and he was fully weaned, she was faithful to the Lord, and she fulfilled her vow. Now, I can imagine that there must have been some level of temptation for Hannah to, you know, kind of back out of the vow at that point. She had her precious son, but, but she didn't. She was faithful to the Lord and she fulfilled her vow. She gave her son to Eli. And from that day forward, she only saw Samuel, her son, once a year when her and her husband went to the temple to offer the yearly sacrifice. Now, that takes just incredible trust in the Lord to do that. Incredible trust in the Lord to give up her son, who she had desired to have for so long. It was such great trust that, that this, this trust that she had, it was so great that she offered a prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord. And in that prayer, she recounted the many ways that he has protected and provided for his people through the ages. And she offered this prayer, this prayer of thanksgiving, as she was surrendering her son, giving her son to Samuel to the Lord to be raised by Eli the priest and to serve him all the days of his life. Now, practically, this meant that Hannah was not involved in the day-to-day raising of her son. 364 days a year, she didn't even see him. She had no control, she had no input over how he was being raised, how he was being cared for, how he was being nurtured or taught. But the Lord did. The Lord was in control of her son. And Hannah knew that. 
and she trusted the Lord. She trusted the Lord fully to care for Samuel, to provide for Samuel, to nurture Samuel, to oversee every detail of Samuel's life that she was unable to. She trusted in the Lord's plan for her son's life, even in the areas where she had no control. And this tremendous trust, it gave Hannah the ability to be at peace, to really and truly be at peace, to deeply, fully, and completely experience and embrace the joy of the Lord for the rest of her life, to serve him, to serve the Lord all the days of her life, in her marriage and in the raising of her other sons and daughters. Now, most mothers will never be in that specific, that particular position. Most mothers will never give one of her children over to someone else to entirely raise him. But there are many aspects of raising children, especially as they, as they grow and as they get older. Many aspects that you don't have control over. Many times when you will not be at your child's side. Circumstances that are entirely out of your control and that they'll be in circumstances even that you would never have chosen for them. It's at times like those that this trait of Hannah's is a lesson and an encouragement to all mothers and even mothers-to-be. Lift up prayers of supplication and prayers of surrender for your children. Completely trust the Lord with the lives of your children at all times and in all ways. Know that He will provide all that your children truly need, even in ways and at times and in areas that you cannot. Know that surrendering your children to the Lord is the best thing that you can possibly do for them. When you you release control to Him, to the Lord, you open the door for the Lord to do amazing things in your children's lives. Trait number three. A godly mother influences her children in the ways of the Lord. For this trait, I look to Lydia from the book of Acts. I'm going to the other extreme here. This is a very short passage. Acts 16, verses 14 and 15. It says... One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So Lydia, Lydia was present as Paul the Apostle proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. We're told that prior 
to that event prior to hearing the good news that she was a worshiper of God. We're also told that the Lord worked specifically in her heart not to just hear, but to listen to what Paul said. As a result of the Lord working in her heart that day, Lydia was saved. She became born again. Now, although it's not explicitly stated in the text, I believe it's clearly implied that Lydia had great influence in the lives and in the hearts of her children. Both before this event, as a worshiper of God, and as a born-again believer. This is a safe assumption because once she was saved, so was her entire household. And according to the text, her household wasn't present to hear Paul. So they must have heard it from Lydia. The implication is that her ongoing influence, her ongoing godly influence within her household continued when she heard the gospel and was saved. And through that influence, through her influence in sharing the gospel, the Lord opened their hearts and they were saved. Now, I don't want to cause any confusion here. It's absolutely true that it is the Lord and the Lord alone who saves. But it's equally true that he often works through those who faithfully and rightly influence others in the ways of the Lord. So the lessons, or the lesson for mothers to learn from Lydia is to always strive to be a woman of faith. To display that faith to your children in all that you do and all that you speak. Pray for your children and teach them the ways of the Lord. Talking of them when you're sitting in your house and when you're walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, all the time. May it permeate your entire life. And always remember that many times the most impactful and long-lasting influence you have on your children comes by way of example. They're always watching. They're always listening, even when you are unaware. So I encourage you, influence your children in the ways of the Lord, not just by what you say, but also by what you do. Trait number four, A godly mother instructs her children with the wisdom of the Lord. For this trait, I look to Naomi, mother-in-law of Ruth. Um, I, I, I have to reference the entire book of Ruth here. So again, for sake of time, I'm not going to read that, but just summarize the points that I'm gonna that I that I draw from. So most of you, I'm sure, know the story, but Naomi and her family, they fled to the country of Moab because of a great famine in Israel. Soon after they arrived, Naomi's husband died, passed away, and her her two sons ended up marrying Moabite women, Orpah 
and Ruth. And after about 10 years, both of Naomi's sons also passed away. And Naomi heard that the Lord had blessed the land of Israel by ending the famine. So she decided to return to Israel. But before returning, she told her daughters-in-law that they were free to return to their home and find new husbands. One of them, Orpah, did just that. She returned. She returned to her people. She returned to her gods. But Ruth said this to Naomi, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And we can see from this passage that Ruth was already at this point deeply influenced by Naomi and that Naomi, even during an extended time of what I would consider to be extreme difficulty, she was a woman of faith. So Ruth stayed with Naomi. After they returned to Israel, Naomi continued to look after Ruth with the love of a mother, of her actual mother. She instructed her with godly wisdom in the interactions with a man by the name of Boaz. And this led to Ruth and Boaz marrying and raising a family, having children. I think that what all mothers can learn from Naomi is that even in the midst of severe and even heartbreaking circumstances, that God still uses you to impact the lives of your family, your household, and those around you. He uses you to impact them for his kingdom. Naomi's teaching in the ways of the Lord during those 10 years in Moab, they clearly had an impact on Ruth's heart. I mean, it led her to to leave her country, leave her people, and all of her false gods and stay with Naomi. Go back to Israel with Naomi. And then Naomi's godly instruction, once back in Israel, protected Ruth. And it opened the door for her to marry Boaz and ultimately produce a son in their family that would be part of the lineage of King David and ultimately, generations later, the Lord Jesus himself. So mothers, I encourage you, always remember to rely solely on the Lord's wisdom, not your own, to teach, train, guide, and counsel your children. Remember the words of Isaiah the prophet. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways 
higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And then finally, <clears throat> trait number five, a godly, a godly mother protects her children. For this trait, I look to Jochebed, the mother of Moses. I'll read this passage. It's Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then the sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. Now, Jochebed, Moses' mother, was clearly a mother of tremendous faith in God. When her child was born, she chose to disregard Pharaoh's command to have every Hebrew baby boy thrown into the Nile River to die. She disregarded that. And she did so at her own peril. For if she was caught, she would have surely been executed herself. She was a mother who put the protection of her son before her own good and her own safety even. She hid Moses in her home for the first three months of his life. Now, just try to imagine that. Try to imagine the overwhelming concern, I would say even fear, every single time little baby Moses would stir or whimper or cry, knowing that Pharaoh's agents, they could be right outside the door or window and hear it. It would all be over. And then we're told that When she could hide him no longer, she took her next action. We don't know the circumstances that made it no longer possible for her to conceal him. Possibly, I think most likely, it was just due to his age. No, he's he's awake more, he's crying more, he's crying louder, just becomes more difficult. But we're not told the specifics. The point is this, that she discerned at this point that the safest, the best thing for her to do was to place her beloved son in the hands of God fully and completely. So on every level and in every way, Jochebed protected 
her son. No matter what the obstacles were, no matter what the danger to herself or the potential cost was, she protected her son. Now, most mothers today, especially in this country, will never face the type of or depth of physical danger to their children that Jochebed faced. However, we do live in a culture and in a society today that presents many dangers to our children, both physical and spiritual. So whether they be physical dangers, spiritual dangers, or both, mothers today do need to protect their children. And they can learn from Jochebed to do all that they can possibly do to protect their children, no matter what the cost, no matter what the risk is to themselves, to do all that they can do. And then beyond that, beyond your own abilities to protect them, to confidently place your children in the hands of God, to trust God fully and completely to protect them. When you do that, when you trust God to protect your children, you can rest secure that they are not only in good hands, but that they're in the best hands. So today, we honor and celebrate the mothers and the future mothers that are here among us. You are, and I honestly, I don't think that I'm exaggerating when I say this to make a point, but you are the guardians of future generations. You are instrumental in instilling the principles of true Christianity in your children, of making that, that first deep and lasting imprint onto their hearts. I thank God for each and every one of you for the incredible and important work that you do as mothers in raising children, which is growing the church, which the Lord Jesus Christ paid for with his own precious blood. Praise God. May you all strive to truly submit to the Lord's authority in all ways, and in all areas of your life, and thereby teach your children to do the same. To completely trust the Lord with the lives of your children, knowing that He will provide all they truly need, even in ways and at times and in areas that you cannot, to influence your children in the ways of the Lord, <clears throat> not just by what you say by what you do. To always remember to rely solely on the Lord's wisdom, not your own, to teach, train, guide, and even counsel your children. And to do all that you can possibly do to protect your children, including and especially when it's beyond your own ability to confidently place your children in the hands of God. So may you all and each be encouraged and strengthened 
today by this very, very brief look at five mothers from the word of God. And may it be said of you all, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. God bless you, and happy Mother's Day. Praise God. And you're very welcome.